Hey, Hi. how are you doing? Hey, Joe. Uh, I'm okay. Although, can I catch up on a fairly distressing thing that has happened to me? Of course, yeah. So I went for a meal with a person the other day who I met on the internet on one of these apps. Right. Um, and it's one of these apps they have now. Yeah, one yeah. of these apps they have now, and it, it was all right. Although I just had this feeling that. She didn't really look that much like she did on the image that I'd swiped her. That's really common, isn't it? I think so, but like, and I've seen that before, but this was like, she's quite profoundly different. Right. Um, the evening was going fine, but then it turned out that she was actually a large cat native to Africa, central Iran and India. And basically the whole of our new relationship was based on a lie. Oh my God. So she was... <laughs> a big cat. Yeah. But is there another word for that? A cheater. She was a cheater. She was a cheater. Yeah. Oh my god! And do you know what gave it away? What? When I went to get her coat, she had this great big lashing tail that was whacking around. Uh, and when she was trying to eat the soup, she just had these great big paws with claws on them. Oh, that's and, awful. Uh, just expect me not to even notice. And was it um, for the brief time you were together? Was it uh, like an open, honest, no. monogamous relationship? Well, it was an honest, I thought it was an honest monogamous relationship, but also it was an open relationship for her because it turned out that she had other partners. So she was... A cheater. Did cheater. you play cards with her at all? I didn't, because she couldn't pick him up. But uh, but if she had been able to... She'd have been a cheating, she cheater, been, cheater, yeah, a cheater. Yeah, So how did you confuse a human woman with a large cat who can run at 80 to 90 kilometres per hour, has evolved specialised adaptations for speed, including a light build, long legs and a long tail... And a coat that's typically tawny to creamy white or pale bluff, bluff, buff, covered with evenly spaced solid black spots. I don't know. I guess I'm just a ridiculous idiot. But you know, in addition to her being a cheating, cheating, cheating cheater, yeah, she also lied about a job. What was her job? She said on the app that she was a zookeeper, but she actually, wasn't a zookeeper. She's not a zookeeper, no. That is, I mean, that would be Which funny is... if it wasn't so. Yeah, Awful. I mean, it's quite reassuring in a sense that we're not in a state in this great nation where we're hiring animals to monitor their own zoos. But, um, but yeah, she's she she was just a liar as well. God, that's that. I'm so sorry to hear about that. Well, that's, I'll be yeah. okay. I, you At know least it was what? Funny. What is it? Words with said, comedy is tragedy recollected mm, in yeah. something. So maybe one day someone might be able to make a really funny joke out of that and win best joke of Edinburgh Festival. But I think. They'd have to do a lot of work with it. They have to work quite hard for it to yeah, be funny. Yeah, and mm. to, to make sense. But Why are we talking about this, Joe? Uh, because that joke, I started going out with a zookeeper, turned out he was a cheater, won the best joke at Edinburgh. And although the public have been quite vocal about what a bad joke it is, and I think rightly so, mm. um, it was voted for by the public. Mm. Um, and yes, there's been some chat about that. We can chat about that. But first, let the music let play. The music let play. the music play. Lots of people had... Uh, I mean, I heard this joke about the cheetah and the zookeeper on BBC Breakfast when they had the woman who'd won it. And I, I, I'd like to think, like, the rest of her routine isn't just reading out, like, slightly garbled versions of Christmas cracker jokes, but um, they read that one out loud and said it was the best, the one that had been voted the best at Edinburgh Fringe. Mm. And it does seem surprising, mm. doesn't it? And there's been a lot of chat about that on Twi- uh, on X. Mm. So I like this one. <laughs> Mick... Minas, your host with the most, that's his ex name, um, tweeted, an extremist anti-male joke, why am I not surprised the most unfunny comedians of these men-hating women give her an award, don't change that. Hmm. So it's quite the sentence structure there, isn't it? It is. And cataphract powerful warrior replied, relax, Baldy, it's not that serious. <laughs> well, it was one of the things that I saw, one of the, I think one of the first responses I saw was someone quote tweeting the news of this person having won the joke competition saying like joke writing is a really serious business mm. um, and there's a lot of really clever jokes out there why is this one one and i was like i'm sorry joke writing is a serious well, business I, know I, I was trying to do it and it is difficult because yeah. i was thinking okay see what you need if you want to let's take this joke as an example mm. you need a trait that would be undesirable in a partner mm-hmm. but also not one that's really dark mm. um and you need a word that's like a homonym for that word Mm -hmm. like cheetah Mm -hmm. and then you need like a hesitate to use the phrase semantic field where you can crowbar it into a meaning that isn't the meaning it's got so 
And it, it that is quite difficult. Like I started going out with a boxer. Turns out he was really aggressive. Yeah. Uh, but like aggressive. St- it, it's really yeah difficult to do. So I was trying to. I think I wasn't thinking it through properly. So I was just only focusing on words that rhyme with cheetah mm. and going through the alphabet. And yeah. I came up with. Um, I started going out with a barman because he said he'd um, give me a free pint, but it turns out it was a litre. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, litre, meter. Yeah, I had to go. At pumpkin some. eater. You got anything anyway, good? Yeah. So I had to write them down because, like you say, it's complicated. Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't trust I, I started going out with a man who said his name was Paul, but it was actually Peter. I actually did. I've broken the format. I just focused on okay. on like. Um, Jokes. Punchlines that land that rhyme with cheetah. Oh, so you did cheetah as well? Yeah, yeah. This so... reminds me of a conversation in the pub <laughs> last week. Does it yeah, remind you? It does. So uh, I have a very... <laughs> we were... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it reminds no. me of a very <laughs> funny conversation. Shall we tell the listeners? Yeah, no. Let's tell them about it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we so just... there's a bit of backstory. Which yeah, is there's that... a group of us in the pub last week. Yeah. A story about... Well, um, for complicated reasons we won't go into, but Jeremy Beadle came up in the conversation... Yeah. And then we spent quite a long time, possibly for some people's liking, too long of a time, yeah. uh, making up different names. Like, for example, what about that show when Jeremy Beadle... That that show where Jeremy Beadle gets set on fire, you've been fa- flamed. Or yeah. what about that show when Jeremy Beadle makes people into celebrities, you've been famed. Mm. What about that show where Jeremy Beadle... So did did you can you remember any of them? Uh, Jeremy so the one where Jeremy Beadle um stamps on your toe, you've been maimed. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Or when he um makes it so you can't even walk, he stamps on it so badly you've been lamed. You've been lamed. Yeah. And then that also led to uh, what about that one about Jeremy Beadle being a fish? Watch out, Beadle's a trout. Yeah, the one where he eats to excess and it takes Watch it, out, Beadle's got gout. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean that that the ran and ran. Really... So I guess are you in the yeah, mood yeah. for like rhyming puns and stuff? That's right. That's what I was saying. So here's some of my attempts at jokes okay. that end with that sound like the punchline cheater. Right. I have a very polarizing friend. At Halloween, I never know whether to trick or treat her. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean that's good insofar <laughs> as it rhymes with cheater. I have another friend who has ACD. For her birthday, I made her a collage, uh, but she said it could have been neater. Okay. I have another. But that's friend. not a joke, is it? <laughs> I have another. Friend. No, it would have to be that Nita was a pun for like you need her or something. That's right. I have another. Friend. She's she's got OCD, but she also kind of resists the idea that you are exhibiting any sort of dependency on the relationship. Mm. She doesn't really want you to need her. Or be neater. Some, yeah. I, yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. I have another friend who gets anxious about arriving at parties. So you have, <laughs> <laughs> so you have to be, <laughs> you have to be really careful how you greet her. Oh, very yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I won a competition to go on a date with an actress from Coronation Street. I was hoping Rita. for I was hoping for Sarah Platt, but it turned out to be Rita. Very good, but that's also not a joke. <laughs> So That's I, just things that rhyme with cheetah. So isn't I tried it? again and I won the competition again. But right. this time it was a date. They with... ran it twice just because you were disappointed <laughs> you had to go out with Rita. Yeah. So I, I bet you, you should have settled for your zookeeper well, big cat. I should have done. So I tried again, I won it again, but this time it was a date with Gita. Isn't she from EastEnders? No, she's from Crunch Street in the, in the Oh, I, it's because I haven't watched either of them for a long time, and I think last yeah. time I watched EastEnders, <laughs> Gita was a character. Yeah, yeah. so I was. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy I was, my uh, joke? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I went out with a man uh, who turned out to be. Uh, he, he said he would never complain, but he turned out to be a bit of a bleater. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, I re- I went out with a man who couldn't write very good poems because he had very little sense of meter. Ah, uh, that's, that's appropriate, um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, is, so I take it back, it's actually very hard to write jokes. It is hard to write jokes, um, but also I don't claim that I can because I'm not in the Edinburgh mm. Fringe. But, um, yeah, I like uh, there was... I know it's spiked and everything, but there was quite a good article in there about um, about the joke, which says, zookeepers and cheaters are both found in zoos, yes, but to connect them in this way is not misdirection, it is a category error. The audience do not feel tricked, they feel, ironically, cheated. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you can't predict <laughs> I went it. to see a 
woman who said she was a comedian, but she turned out to be a cheater. Yes, very yeah. good. So it's like the joke equivalent of a deus ex machina, isn't it? Like a, a what ex machina? A deus ex machina. Deus. A deus machina. Ex yeah, I know, really. Deus ex machina. Okay, why are you saying it like that? <laughs> I think it's funny. And Do the, you? the film is called Ex Machina, isn't it? I thought it was ex called Ex Machina. machina. Do I don't know. Well, it's not the sort of film I'd go to see, let alone talk about so yeah yeah Do you think I don't, is that funny? one of your like marvel films it's not a marvel film no it's, it's a, like a bit metaversy and stuff isn't it it's about a robot yeah yeah, that, yeah. yeah. okay um yes sex robot or normal robot so it's like a do it do ex machina what? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh for a joke yeah how do you say it really deus ex machina okay i think i didn't know that deus ex machina yeah. and apologies to all the hundreds of students over the years who have heard me say that wrongly. Well, maybe I'm saying it wrongly now. I don't know. Yeah, I, I but it is like that. Wrong. So it's like, it's where the denouncement for the joke comes out of nowhere. You can't predict it. The denouement. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's where the denouement of the joke comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, it's and, like we've uh, spent so much time doing wordplay and messing around that we've forgotten how to talk well, now, isn't it? You say it? we, but you mean me, don't you? you know, well, <laughs> no, the night is young, or the <laughs> afternoon is young. I yeah. could, uh, and also, it, it will be really ironic if I'm wrong about how to say... I feel like you're yeah. probably not. I don't know. I get things, I get things wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yes. I mean, yeah. And do you have anything else to say about this joke? No, I just thought it'd be a fun thing to kick off with. The other thing about Edinburgh Festival is uh, big shows getting cancelled because people mm. protest on the internet. That's been a big story, as it was last year. Or in year. real life, indeed. Yeah, or yeah. in real life, indeed. Uh, so I just wanted to say, listeners, if you're fascinated by that phenomenon and want to know about our thoughts around when big comedy shows are cancelled. Go listen to our episode from last August where we talked about it for an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. Because it was when, what's his name, the man who made the joke about Jimmy Savile got oh. uh, the man in the top hat who says offensive Joe things. Joe Savile. Joe Savile. So, yeah, all of our thoughts, check them out. Thought, <laughs> thoughts and press. It's yeah. thought, thoughts and press. I can't believe that was a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, in today's episode, yes. we're going to talk mainly about Rebecca Quang's uh, yellow face, aren't we, which was our big satirical summer read yes um, and that's going to be the kind of substantial portion of the podcast but before we do that um we're going to just have a little bit of a debrief about the show that's just dropped all two seasons of it on iplayer after mm. being missing for a long time which is robert popper and peter serafinovich's look around you yes um i don't know if you want to say what if this is a podcast or not first this is a podcast. Yeah. It is. It's called Smith and Water Talk About Satire. It is a podcast. It is. If, no, no one can deny it. We've, no. We've over 50 episodes now. It's definitely a podcast. I think we've got over 50 listeners. We've <laughs> got 50 listeners. We've done more than 50 episodes. It's yeah. definitely a podcast. Yeah. The definition of a podcast is a, a sequentially broadcast, a, a, a serialised broadcast. And no one can say that we're not serialised or sequential. But it is annoying when people refer to like one-offs as a podcast. It's not that. Are you broadcast. still not over that? Well, I'm just saying we are definitely a podcast. Yeah, because we've, we've done lots we've of episodes. Yeah, so episodes. we are a podcast. Have we got a name? Smith and Wall talk, talk about, about satire. satire. Yeah. Which, uh, you, Joe War, and me, Adam Smith. Talk about satire. Am I doing <laughs> yeah. all of it? Yeah. <laughs> talk about satire. Yeah. The form, function, future, and, and history. <laughs> Oh, we really like doing the old one now, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, in a desperate bid to pass the time until we're dead. <laughs> um, which is working. It is, yeah, yeah, it is working, yeah, it is. Um, and also your time, listeners, until you yeah. are also dead. So look around you. What look is around it, Joe? you. Where does it come from? Look around you um, was a, it came out in the early 2000s, I think maybe like 2002? 2001 or what, two, I think. Right, yeah. okay. Um, and the first series was. They're like 10 minutes long, aren't they? Yeah, and yeah. they take the form of a kind of parody of school educational broadcasts, such as you would go sit cross-legged in the AV room and the TV would get wheeled in and you'd have to uh, watch very seriously. And it would like they would never be good, but there was still something intrinsically... It felt like a treat because it was telly mm. and you got to watch, getting to watch telly at school. So the first series has these little sort of nonsensical bite-sized bits of false information about things in the world um, and it's you've you are you watching them for the first time I am yeah well, well I've seen bits of them on YouTube and actually mm. when it when you mentioned it was an iPlayer I thought that I hadn't seen very much of it because the bits on YouTube were only about 10 minutes long but now I realize they were full episodes so I, yeah. actually, so I had seen more than I'd realized but um yeah and have you watched any of the second series I yet? Yet, no. so the second series is completely different they're half an hour long 
and they are more like a spoof of sort of early tomorrow's world right. type broadcast but same cast but also um olivia coleman is it and people like um kevin eldon crop up and loads of people whose names i don't know but i'm like oh my god they were in this or that mm. so it's that kind of clique mm. of comedian and i think it's um it's a bit like with this it always really annoyed my kids friday night dinner another robert popper mm. um creation and it used to really annoy them when people just would go around saying Couldn't shalom oh. when people go around saying um shalom jackie because that's not really like the funniest thing in Friday Night Dinner no. and it's not said all the time. And in the same way, I think the main thing that people have ever quoted from Look Around You is the thanks. Because mm. every so often they say, thanks, somebody. Mm. So like it, they'll go like, thanks, Adam. Yeah. Fadden. Yeah. Um, and that got quoted a lot. But there's oh so much more yeah. to Look Around You than that. I think there's so much in it that when you walk away having initially just absorbed an episode you do gravitate to the thanks stuff because yeah. like, it stands out cause, yeah write that down in your copybook now it's very evocative of that it does a really successful job of pastiche yeah. in that period of television but also I think the satire such as it is is that the, the madness of what they're saying yeah it, it, it does feel convincing because of the man's voice the format like it, the it's a perfect diagnostic parody in that you want to even even though I know it's bollocks like I watched the one about sodium the other day and even though I know it's bollocks part of me is like I wonder if there's some truth in this because it just sounds so plausible yeah it does and I suppose you could say that it, it's it points to the way that we will receive something as being true and being wisdom mm. if it's said in a particular way. I don't think they're trying to do that, are they? I think no. they're just trying to be silly. Well, it- and also, I suppose what they're tapping into is the fact that when you're a kid, if you're told something, it it just it, all of it's so incomprehensible. Mm. The one incomprehensible thing that isn't true isn't really distinguishable from another incomprehensible thing that is true. Yeah. And the the whole world of TV educational broadcast was so perplexing. And I think we were talking about this the other day, how at the end of the, every episode, the voiceover says, hand your copybook in to your teacher or head of class now. And I can remember... I can't think of specifics, but you'd be watching something or listening to something at school uh, or it would be in the SPMG textbook or whatever. And there'd be some little bit of phrasing like head of class where you're like, oh, we don't have that. Why haven't we got a head? Maybe we have got a head of class and I've never understood it. Like what do all other schools have a head of class except for us? And Mm. just these bits of phrasing that really throw you off. But you you just kind of absorb them after wondering and um also i think it was in the spmg math books as well they always used to refer to your jotter which uh, we we what did you call your books at school yeah Yeah. same and i always said humberside county council on the front (laughs) but yeah it was always referred to as a jotter and you're like is there is there like does the rest of the world all go around saying jotter yeah. all the time? I used to the word jotter I associated as a child with the ring bound like reporter's notebooks because they do say on them yeah. don't they when you buy them they're, they're jotters as if yeah. you're like a journalist or something yeah so just even the word jotter evokes for me the bits of paper that you tear off the top of the page when you've removed it from oh the, the from little the spindly bits yeah. down the side yeah um, yeah do you remember any children's school television that you're exposed to I think there was one called Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I feel like that used to be about things like the ancient Egyptians, but right. I have sketchy memories of that. And of course, the main one, which I think we both were shown at school, is Look and Read, mm. the one with Dark Towers and yeah. Badger Girl and Boy from Space. Yeah. So what there there would be a kind of through the dragon's eye. I don't remember that. Oh, Fairground as well. Mm. I think so. There'd be a sort of a story drama and mm. you would get a f- about five or ten minutes of that in an episode but then it would be about words yeah um and it would be say in the story it was like tracy looked around her they'd freeze frame on it and put those words at the bottom and, and then it would go like looked is an ed word mm. what other ed words can you think of and then there'd be a song about yeah why don't you build yourself a word? Build, build yourself a word with an ED. Build yourself a beginning word beginning with some fuck. B- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I do remember. Yeah, there's um, dog, magi- dog detective is chasing AR 
dog detective is chasing a yard. What a wonderful sound. <laughs> when the farmer needs a barn, dog detective's around. Oh, wow. Do you remember Dog Detective? I don't remember that one so much. I remember Build Yourself a Wall. Build, I can remember... Build Yourself a Word. Build Yourself a Word. And sometimes with an ED, sometimes with an ing. <laughs> the dumb and Trump edition is Build Yourself a Wall. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the... Um, and I remember the magic pencil as well. Yeah, and, and magic ink. Curl and up. I love that magic pencil, yeah. Yeah, a magic key, yeah. A magic key was, but you don't call it magic key anymore at school. I, still I can't do remember in my what. Own you, head. Oh yeah, I think, but they don't call it that at yeah. school. I can't remember what what it is called now. But it, it was like Don becomes done. Yeah. No, actually, that's a bad example. It'd be more like Con becomes Cone yeah. with magic key. Yeah, magic key. I suppose sounds like a drug, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think that's why they don't do it, but yeah. Yeah, this, um, for talking why about. Don't you take yourself some drugs? <laughs> the, um. Why don't. Cock becomes coke with magic e <laughs> later in the evening. Um, yeah. The, um, thinking about it as a diagnostic parody of school television and the faith mm. that we might put in these shows because of the way they're formatted reminds me of another conversation that I had with some students when I was guest lecturing on a, a media module and we were talking about satire obviously and one of the students asked me if um, Don't Hug Me I'm Scared is satirical so we put it on the screen and we watched some bits of it because I was like well you, we've been talking about for two hours about the definition of satire and various definitions and what satire does do you think it's satirical and they said they did uh, in the sense that it was a satire on how children's television works as an ideological state apparatus yeah I think it's sort of it's also like about existential dread mm. is it? It, it mainly it seems to me like the comedy is in transplanting that sort of Samuel Beckett style like yeah. complete aloneness in the universe no choices no options you're waiting but you don't know what for yeah but into like silly fluffy characters with songs but then these characters come in and tell them that they need to go to work and yeah yes that's true the, the work episode in particular yeah. is might be read as a kind of mark marxist satire or critique well of whoever comes the in, capitalist machine that's right yeah i think that's, that's yeah great. and that was the one we were looking at so but i wonder if the same thing can be said to about um look around you in that it's a satire on that kind of school television programming and the ideological work that it does yeah. to children. Yeah, it could be. It's not as dark, is it, as Don't Hug Me? No, it's not. Around you, near, but, no, it's very funny. So, Do you know something satire that, fans, if you haven't watched it, you might really mm, like it. You'd love it. Something that really mm. annoys me, actually, it's not related to satire, but okay. I'll just say it very quickly because we've got an audience. When people complain about um, that, oh, education shouldn't be ideological... And they're upset about things like uh, diversifying the crit- what, uh, critical race theory and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the concerns, it's a complicated issue. But yeah. when you have to be banging the drum, be like, education shouldn't be ideological. But education so fundamentally is an ideology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's so, so yeah. it should be ideological in that way, perhaps, according to you and your ideology. But the whole point of a school is to indoctrinate well, a child. Well, that's it. But I mean, as we often say, the ideal saying things are ideological is often a like employed as if it's a criticism and as if it kind of undermines what the other person is doing like, oh you, that you're just being ideological as if we aren't all being ideological yeah. all the time <clears> but we just don't necessarily know yeah. do you know i um i had a date with someone whose job it was to make the edwardian streets light at night and uh, so that you could see where you were going mm-hmm. turns out it was a gaslighter very good yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good joke. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Just thought I'd just thought I'd drop that in. I was there. once at a uh, this is not even a joke, this is true. I was once at a heritage site, a heritage centre. Mm-hmm. I won't name which one it is because it's in New York. Um but the person who was showing it we were there in an academic context, like as potential external partners. And uh, the guy who showed us round said, uh, oh make sure you go upstairs into the nineteenth century wing, uh, because there's some excellent Victorian gaslighting in there. Um mm. and then he goes, Yeah, you walk in, it says <laughs> you spent too much on your shopping. You shouldn't leave the house. And he was doing this whole joke about <laughs> That's how not the what uh, gaslighting is there. Is no, it? no. Well, it's neither. That's rubbish. Yeah, but it was it was strange that he came out with that as yeah. part of this event. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So, look around you. <laughs> Just look around you. Yeah. What's the opposite of the brain, Adam? Have you not watched that one yet? I don't think so. The opposite of the brain is probably the bum. <laughs> All right, it makes sense. What are birds? We just don't know. I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so that was just a brief <clears> bit <throat> of uh, bit of brain bum fluff. Yeah. Um, brain bum. Buff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to talk about Yellow Face? Yes. Which I think you've read it properly and yeah. I've listened to it in my ears. Incorrect. I listened to it in my ears as well. I thought you read it. I read it. Okay. Whilst I was listening to it, but I mostly that's inefficient. Well, just good for key quotes and stuff. Right. But mostly I listened. You didn't to it. sit there with it like in your earphones and your eyes. <laughs> no, I didn't. Right. Okay. Well, so you just flipped between them. Yeah. I did. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, Yellow Face is a novel that has been quite widely described as a, a satire, mm-hmm. satire on the way the publishing industry industry works, a satire on. Uh, ambitions towards racial diversity in the publishing industry um, and about social media, particularly the website formerly known as Twitter. Um, And I think it's all of those things. Do you think we should just give a little plot summary? Yeah. Are we doing spoilers or not? To what extent are we avoiding... Okay. I think we have to. And also, this was our satirical summary. If you haven't read it, you shouldn't really have turned up. No. Did you just expect that we would do the work and tell you what happens and then you would go and write your essay on it? No. 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 And, if you uh, haven't read it, leave. This was our satirical summer read. So yeah. If you've not, if you've not read it, you, we rude. gave you plenty of warning. We yeah. gave you two months of warning that we'd be discussing this. Yeah. So sit down, shut up, and mm. don't complain about spoilers. No. I, to be fair, no one has ever complained to us about spoilers, have they? So I think we're no. being a bit unnecessarily um, aggressive. So what happens in the book? Are you asking me, or are you about to say? Would you want me to say, or would you want uh, Well, say? we could probably do, sort of do this together, couldn't we? So it's a book about... Uh, it starts with two women, June and Athena, both of whom are writers and have been to uni together, but Athena is a very successful, much-fated novelist who's really kind of won all of the prizes um, like metaphorically and literally hasn't she she's got the publishing contract she's got the fame and the acclaim and the critical acclaim and she's also beautiful and cool and stylish and rich and June has published one novel it hasn't completely flopped but it hasn't done very well they go back to Athena's house because they're sort of on and off friends they have quite a nice evening where they both get kind of silly drunk and then they have a pancake eating competition Athena chokes on her own pancake and um, and dies but it turns out and I, I think this is probably the it almost draws attention to itself as a plot device Athena when she writes novels never talks about what they're going to be she doesn't use a computer or save early drafts she doesn't write anything down about them she just writes them all in one go on her typewriter so there's no digital footprint of anything she's written before it's published she's just shown june where the manuscript is and after she dies june takes it away with her and over the coming months kind of edits it tweaks it and publishes it as her own mm-hmm. work which it is not that's right, and um, she, the public, the pro, the publishers are very excited to publish this book. Everyone seems much more keen on this, but when I was reading about, it, I was like, I would not read that book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, they, yeah. I think because it's, it's kind really of like boring. It, well, they, because it's positioned as like the secret history of these yeah. Chinese people in World War One, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of interest, and they bid for there's a bidding war, and yeah. she ultimately gets a small press, and all the publishers are really excited and interested, but they start to do things. And I don't, she's not fully aware of why they're doing them. But they do things like encouraging her to use her middle name instead of a surname. So she's called Song instead of Haywood. So she becomes Juniper Song rather than June Haywood. Yeah. Um, and they take photographs of her outside with the sun on her skin in a certain way to make her look racially ambiguous. Yeah, and so it kind of gradually becomes obvious that she sort of passes to for some people in mm. some context. Either she passes as Chinese or yeah. she is thought to be trying to pass as Chinese yeah. um, and either way that's not good and something that some of the people who criticise June in, in a, some of the commentary I've seen online they don't necessarily factor in the fact that this is the press orchestrating this Yeah, and the press are doing this mostly to avoid claims of uh, cultural appropriation rather than as, an, as a yellow face and act they're mm. trying to make it suitably ambiguous that people don't think to criticise her for writing a story about the lived experience of people in China in the early 20th century yeah um, so so, but then from then on you've basically got two things she doesn't want to get caught for having essentially largely taken their friend's story um, but also there's this whole like when is this race bomb going to go off basically yeah. isn't there um, and she increasingly does get called out by some people for appropriating other people's voices and benefiting from Athena's 
reputation and and there's hints that people are skeptical that she wrote this yeah but she very nearly gets away with it and to, that she to use her phrase she double dips doesn't she she goes back into uh athena's notebook that she stole and takes another st- well she writes her own story but takes athena's framing for it and unfortunately for her someone else has an exact copy of the thing that she's stolen and that's when it really starts to get shaky for her isn't it it is yeah um and throughout the novel june is quite a complicated character isn't she because she she's flawed and in many ways unlikable and she thinks in the privacy of her own head some quite dodgy things about race in particular um but that and that's like a slow build isn't it that's not dropped in in the first chapter where you just think oh june's the sort of plainer poorer less successful friend and then she she thinks things or does things which increasingly kind of make her a complicated character to engage with although some people have not found it complicated but have found it very easy to to hate her i also should say another strong theme is that the question about the extent to which all of writing is lies appropriation and that as a writer you might well be cannibalizing your friend's life and stories because it turns out that athena has Mm. written june's trauma in a short story and june didn't know she was going to do it um writers are, are magpies who take from other people so i guess there's kind of a set of questions about that and it also turns out that athena herself was quite had had her own thoughts about the extent to which like who can tell whose story mm. because athena of course was also not a chinese um soldier in the first world war no. athena's background was pretty privileged yeah. and she had been criticized for that whilst alive as well so just because she has chinese heritage doesn't mean that she's necessarily equipped to tell no. everyone's story who shares any kind of non-white um background but also but but it it's also deemed that she still even so has more right to tell it than mm. june does who has no claim to any sort of um, yeah diversity whatsoever yeah so i mean so june's in i think june obviously part of the comedy of the novel is june we can see when we read her first person narration that she has unconscious biases Mm. unconscious biases i should say um and and doesn't really understand why what she's doing is wrong it's like more it's more from a position of ignorance than maliciousness i think in in most instances yeah and i think as well something that's done quite subtly is that builds through the novel so that initially she's trying to tell herself well it's not that bad because i've done my own research is this i've made it better in some ways it's not just that i lifted it and published it i also wrote quite substantial chunks of this and i think over the course of the novel that subtly becomes like well it was basically all me and Mm. athena had it coming and i probably did more on that than she did all the good bits were my bits so she's come to tell herself more and more reasons why that's okay yeah um i mean something that struck me is when she's edited when she takes the manuscript home and she's rewriting it herself she pats herself on the back for taking out a lot of the boring bits yeah um and i wonder if the boring bits is where athena's put those in for the kind of mm. authentic in inverted commas texture and stuff one of the things that we can perhaps talk about in a minute is that some of the comments and commentary on this read it straightforwardly as an antagonism between juniper as the white woman who is stealing from athena the woman of asian descent and one's the aggressor and one's the victim mm. and i don't think that is quite the dynamic that the novel presents because athena is awful yeah um and also really cynical in the way that she plays this game as well like like i say i think she put these bits into the book to make them more in inverted commas authentic she's she's expresses her cynicism about the whole system to june but then also plays and benefits from it and if you think of the moments the most toe curlingly uncomfortable moments in this book there's two one where june is invited to a local it's like a local community book group and everyone there is of asian descent or is well, they're specifically they Chinese. Chinese, yeah. yeah and, and the they... woman thought that June was going to be Chinese, yeah. and then asks her if she speaks any Chinese, and she's like, "No." And also, I should say, I'm not Chinese. Yeah, and that's yeah. where she meets someone who I think w- w- is a descendant of someone who was in the World War One setting and stuff, and yes. he says, "It's thanks, great that you're telling these stories." 
Athena's got very little to do with this community either. Like, yeah. as probably about the same amount as June, but she. But it's all right for her to benefit from. Well, I think that's really. Um, I'm. I think we know where the book ends up on these questions. I think the book does end up explicitly criticizing June for some of the things she thinks about these issues, and she and it's eventually made clear that we are not supposed to have any sympathy with June sense that the publishing world isn't really interested in what a white woman no. who's boring and not very attractive has to say, but the publishing industry is quite interested in what someone like Athena has to say, even though Athena is really, really privileged yeah. and went to private school in Britain. But there are quite long bits of the book where you, and I think this might be what's led to confusion, where it does seem as though it's trying to do something a bit more challenging and make you, the reader, ask yourself, is is there any merit in this argument? Mm. Is is June's sense of a, griev- a grievance in any way fair? Yeah. I think there's a final, a late speech by another character that makes it clear actually where our heads are supposed to be. Yeah. I kind of found it more interesting when it was making us feel uncomfortable about where the extent to which anyone might identify with that with mm. some of the things that June says yeah yeah I agree I mean I was just going to say the so I think I was just going to say Athena is presented as playing this system quite cynically I think mm. um, the character who confronts uh, June at the end I feel like she's also quite cynical isn't she like maybe we should just say the character who confronts her at the end because char- you don't necessarily okay. have to say her name so the character who confronts June at the end who was a junior editor who <laughs> Well, so you see, I'm trying not to describe. I don't know. Yeah, no. So, so, okay. so she, the character who confronts June, she at has the end. she has a vendetta against June, and um, she confronts her at the end, and ultimately benefits from yes. from the confrontation, but also has nothing to do with the original communities in China, or even that much to do. She says she hates Athena as well. Yeah. Um. There's her book. There's her commissioning editor who she relates with who's is very open and transparent about playing this system we just have to play this game so kind of everyone in it is playing this game um and then yeah th- so I, I just come back to your point about do, you know are we what do we think about moments where we might sympathize with some of the things that that june haywood says i mean i think the satire is going off in all different directions ultimately there's the main argument but there are instances where Rebecca Quang is parodying the voices of people on the internet who are mobilising this uh, these arguments about race in quite a, a I think hackneyed and blunt instrument self serving virtue signal. Yes, way. and the fact that she can parody those kinds of tweets makes you think that she isn't on the side of the kind of people who say those things. Yeah, uh, and I I don't think that she is, but it does seem as though the book lands up in a place where it is have you got some good ones well just just an example of this is when uh, June is looking at what people are saying about her on Tumblr and she and so Rebecca Quang is writing as a Tumblr person who's mm. written this all the red flags are in the text itself writes an anonymous Tumblr account see on page 317 when she describes a gang's almond eyes and smooth skin almond eyes really white women have been fan- fantasizing about Asian men for decades and then June Haywood says in her side, but I didn't even write that description. Athena did. Yeah. So, um, and the, yeah, the almond eyes thing comes up over and over again. Yes. It's almost like it's a perfect shut way of putting her down. Um, but that was written by our author of Asian descent, not June. So it's not her. Ra- I can't remember the name of the character, but it's like a editorialising popular blogger, New Yorker type writer who really has it in for June, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and I don't think she's supposed to be sympathetic. Like a lot of her arguments are kind of random and garbled and over the top and it's just kind of lucky that on this occasion she's right that June did steal the story um, so I felt like it's satirising all the different aspects all the different kind of like bottom feeders who yeah. thrive in this horrible space yeah absolutely um, and I, I saw a review somewhere that was like well anyone who's hung around on Twitter for a day would be able to ape the way that people write on it but I have seen that done a lot worse Yeah, and also some of the reviews um, and long essays and the YouTube videos that uh, that also target June I think she captures the voice of those really nicely Yeah. so Terry Gwynn 
um, said, didn't like the book and said the novel is a lackluster examination of plagiarism, privilege and cultural appropriation that is too assured of its own righteousness that fails in its moral assertions and limp characterizations to conclude anything besides the painstakingly obvious with a contrived plot and colourless cliche-ridden prose yellow face which is billed as a razor-sharp satire offers remarkably little novelty and nuance into contested artistic territory. Mm. What do you think about that? I think it's interesting to compare yellow face to one of our satirical summaries last year, which is The Plot by Jean Hans Karelitz. Yes, it is interesting um, to compare it to The Plot, isn't it? Seeing as it has a quite similar plot. It's the same story. But with racial diversity thrown into the mix as well. Yeah. And I think perhaps more of a commentary on the publishing industry yeah. in The Yellow Face. Well, I was thinking, what is different about this and that? So in that one, the guy is told a story by one of his annoying students and then that student dies so he yeah. writes a story of himself and it's really successful and he goes on to have a Stephen career Stephen King-esque career until it transpires that some people who knew that person know he's taken the story and ultimately the, denon- the n- denouncement of that <laughs> the denouncement uh, denouement denouement the denouement of that novel um, has a character I wouldn't say who is capturing this guy and saying you've stolen my story these are mm. not your this is not your story to tell and um, but in that, it's kind of it's the strength of the prose, it's the strength of the plot of the narrative that gets him famous. Mm. Whereas in this one, there's a sense that like the publishers don't really mind what's in the last stand; they just want a book that's about China by someone who is racially ambiguous enough for them to yeah. call in the diversity market, and it backfires. Yeah, it's true. the The plot, as the name would suggest, yeah. is about it centers on the idea that there's this book that you can't put down yeah. because it's thrilling and intriguing and amazing and you'll never guess the twisty turniness of it yeah yellow face is a yeah it's about the idea that there's a hungry literati reading public who want to read kind of enlightening educational yeah. um worthy and I'm, I'm sure the book the fictional book was entertaining as well but they want to read about the subject matter rather than they want to read for plot yeah and the fact the fact that the character who confronts june at the end goes on to have all the fame herself for the next 15 minutes that she has her own 15 minutes of fame based on her memoir when we know she's a hack writer yeah i think it the part of the satire is it doesn't really matter what how accomplished this writing is yeah which is different from the plot so i think it is saying something specific about the publishing industry more than it is plagiarism although as you've already mentioned there is an interesting theme in both the plot and this about creativity and whether or not ingenuity and originality is important because as you say one of the biggest crimes in my mind that Athena does is, and one of the moments where I feel the most sympathy for any character is when she takes June's June goes it, to my, it. my maybe rape she yeah. calls it doesn't she and she's in a moment of like being quite traumatised and upset she yeah. confides in Athena and then Athena goes and writes an award winning story about yeah. it so, I mean, that's that... quite unforgivable, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. I just, I know you've got some more entertaining um, stuff from, from TikTok about this, but I just wanted to, I like this one from Goodreads. The narrative is repetitive and disjointed, like puzzle pieces forced together from different boxes. There are scenes when June's narration is simply exhausting. For example, I have to remind Athena this every single time. She has a goldfish's memory when it comes to my problems. It takes two or three repetitions for anything to stick. Back to the voice of the reviewer. First of all, Rebecca, goldfish don't have short memories. Some can keep them for years. I love that of everything to critique about uh, Yellow Face, it's that Rebecca Quang thinks that goldfish have short memories and this reviewer thinks she's denigrating the goldfish, uh, which she should do. It's just an expression, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Got the of well, I think it is true, isn't it? Goldfish I don't. So. I hope so. Otherwise, oh, that would be horrible. Oh, yeah, I started going out with a goldfish. Oh, yeah. yeah it turns out he was a zookeeper. Uh, he was gutted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you um, gutted him? Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. I started going out with a goldfish. He, oh, I, 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 and I gutted him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what is the Discord. vibes on TikTok about TikTok all of this? Vibes. Well, just before, I've noticed that a lot of people on TikTok... Right, a lot of the videos on TikTok, BookTok, are people talking about the cover of the book. Which seems pretty standard on BookTok. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, really big fans of a previous novel by Rebecca Quang. Uh, yeah. Which is called This. Now, I just wondered... Babel. If, yeah, that's how I would say it. Yeah. People on BookTok say Babel. I think it's Babel. The Tower Babel. of Babel. It's Babel, isn't it? Yeah. It's definitely a Tower of Babel from the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. Good. So Unless, person... But we haven't read the book, have we? So maybe the first paragraph is like... This is a story about a house I used to live. It's spelt B A B E L, 
and everybody calls it Babel, but that's incorrect. It's actually Babel. Yeah. Now get on with the book. I yeah. don't know. There might be a reason why they do it other than they that they're be. just getting it wrong. But it could you, be. I, I think it's Babel. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, this is a video by Rebecca Quang. Okay. Because she's really big on it. I didn't realise, but she's got an enormous following on TikTok and she does videos like every day. Right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for being so dumb. So the video is that sound clip and then in the actual video itself, Rebecca Quang is hugging the book Yellowface and the caption says, HarperCollins, quote, Sure, we'll publish that satire you wrote about the publishing industry. We're sure you didn't say anything mean about us. Love emoji, love emoji, hug emoji, and then it's like me smiling innocently whilst the voiceover says, Thank, Thank you for, for being so dumb. dumb. Yeah. So that sort of suggests that she is biting the hand that feeds her, mm. and that it's a satire on the publishing industry, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any, any other thoughts about that? Um, no. <laughs> No, that's very that's very good. I won't play all of this. Uh, one. I thought there was great beauty in the fact that this book was designed to make oddly beauty to make readers uncomfortable. Mm. Like at every turn, the suspense lay in the fact that June is a horrible person, and we all knew she was horrible, and we were kind of like weirdly waiting for her to do something else, like when do will something she be exposed more. Even? Yeah. yeah, and I thought that was really well done. Do you think she's a horrible person? Is June a horrible person? She's not a great person, is she? No. Um, I suppose you could say, you know, one of the one of the things it, it's it diagnosing here is how years and years of never succeeding, years of not achieving your dream where, like, she's getting older, her mum keeps saying, like, why don't you do an accountancy course? Mm. She's increasingly realising she's never going to be a successful writer, that they have embittered her mm. um and yeah i mean i wouldn't want her to be my friend and because you couldn't trust her not to steal, to steal stuff, all your stuff yeah. um but i mean she she's not great but i think if people were honest i'm not nece- i'm not necessarily talking about the um the all the stuff around race but some of june's uncharitable thoughts some of her resentments and some of her anger and bitterness are probably more relatable to most of us than we'd like to admit mm. like what's that we hate it when our friends become successful yeah nobody a lot of people wouldn't deal terribly well with that yeah and it's the kind of thing that's not going to do your character any good unless yeah. you're really careful about bolstering your you know your self-esteem and she doesn't have a lot else in her life there's no one kind of rooting for her or telling her that she's great and i know this is like quite significantly thinking outside of the text and we're not supposed to do that but i think i think there's a reading here that june is part some of her most unpleasant or difficult characteristics have come about because she's embittered yeah yeah i think that's fair enough they talk about the most squirmy and squirmy scenes. Okay. Um, and with the one we've mentioned, one we've mentioned already, which is the Chinese yeah. society group. There's the one where she goes in a Chinese restaurant to try and get some inspiration for another novel. That's awful, isn't it? Yes. Um, oh yeah. When she just sits there thinking of all her terrible, these terrible ideas, like what if it's the future and they're all android, but it's also the 18th century. All those stupid things. Yeah. yeah. This one. I'll describe it whilst it's playing because nothing actually. You don't need to. So it's a woman like stroking her hair. And it's, and the caption says, some people say the yellow face is heavy handed. What can I do for you? I need to buy a gun. Okay, so this is the clip. Afternoon, what can I do for you? I need to buy a gun. So whilst that's happening, the caption says, seeing people say that yellow face is heavy handed when that's literally clearly the point. The point is that white women jump through hoops and do mental gymnastics to justify their racism and are met with resounding affirmation when they do so. It didn't work for her in her fancy novels, but this is by far her genre. Um, And then the comments on this were a bit disturbing. Uh, So, well, one of them says, when folks say they wanted it to be more nuanced, they want to scream, allegory is nuanced, satire is brazen. They should read a modest proposal. One, allegory is not nuanced necessarily. It's really No, it doesn't have to be, does it? Um, And satire doesn't have to be brazen either. But also a modest proposal is extremely nuanced. Like, it's extremely it's... subtle, isn't it? Hmm. So, I don't know. But then the person replied, this book, because that was a man who wrote that, so she replies, this book is not for men, it's for the girlies. Okay, girlies. Um, um, yes, I'm not sure. Um, and also, I mean, doesn't the whole book contradict this point that white women 
are met with resounding affirmation when they jump through hoops and do mental gymnastics because June ends up being like hated and vilified yeah. by literally everyone. Yeah. I think the novel does paint a picture of a world and maybe this person or other people would say that's an optimistic or naive view of the world but the the universe that exists within this text is one that does condemn mm. racism that does object to it really strongly and in which there is no real rehabilitation after you've been found to yeah to have done that this does touch upon one of my lingering questions about the text so the end mm. of the novel when she has this confrontation and the person who confronts her says something on the lines of like white women everyone wants white women's stories i don't know why you're doing all of this like mm. white women can get published very easily that is not true in the world of the text otherwise june wouldn't have stolen yeah. the story in the first place like the whole yeah. point is that she only unless you read Athena as white adjacent, I guess. Yeah, I guess. But then, yeah. But this person and June have both had unsuccessful careers mm. in publishing. They've both not been published. One is white, one isn't. So, I mean, you, you could say that's that's two failed writers flailing around, mm. and 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 they're both pretty bitter. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But. I think when that speech happens, my sense by the time we got to that point in the novel is that we are supposed to agree with that. Yeah. We are supposed yeah. to agree that it's easy for white women. That that's to me that's where the novel So it's leaves just us. that June was it's a bad writer. It's just that June is bad. Okay. Yeah, and, and a bad person and a bad writer. But it then does something more as this person um didn't spot it does do something more nuanced by also suggesting that Athena is hardly the most authentic voice mm. or the best person to tell every story of everyone of any ethnic minority group purely by dint of the fact of of her racial background yeah um so I think she and I think that just avoids making it too clunky but yeah what do you think I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that is that. that I mean, that speech from that speech from that character at the end does seem like here's your moral, mm. but also that the fact that that character I think is represented quite negatively, and their success isn't supposed to, isn't pitched as like I know we're getting it through June's uh, focalizer lens, mm. but I don't. It doesn't feel like great news that this person got to write an expose about it all, like her own memoir. And no, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like this person. Um, this is the one I most agreed with. I finished Yellowface last night. Did I like it? No. However, I recognize that it is an exceptional novel. It was brilliantly executed, expertly crafted. It makes you think, and I think there are a lot of great takeaways from this novel. Chief among them is that no one is beyond reproach. This is a book with characters you will absolutely hate, loathe, and despise. And I don't just mean June. Everyone. Everyone in this novel, you will hate all of them. For me, it was just a very anxiety-inducing novel. So I didn't like it, but it was exceptional. Fair. Yeah, I thought it was a good view. And then yeah. this is the last one. This is amazing. This is extraordinary. I won't talk about it, just watch okay. it. Rebecca told Interview Mag that she thinks Athena is like the worst person on the planet. She said, really? Athena's a bad person. Athena is my worst nightmare. She's all the things I hope will never be true of myself. And it's because she's learned very early on in her career that she can get a lot of attention by telling a particular kind of story, which is the story of Asian pain. So she has benefited immensely from acting as a cultural broker, depicting Chinese American stories in a certain way to maximize the attention and interest she gets from it, which means that she is also deeply suspicious of all other Asian creatives. So that's from Rebecca yeah. on Athena, which is fascinating. Fascinating. Did you like Athena when you read it? I thought that the negative perception I had of Athena was simply because June was an unreliable narrator and obviously despised Athena. But I guess the intention behind the writing of the character was that June's perception of Athena was true. In that, like, I Athena didn't want to help other Asian writers or yeah. didn't want to mentor other Asian writers. I guess that does check out. I am fascinated by that quote. And I do wonder if parts of it from Rebecca is really trying to separate herself from Athena very, very clearly to the media. Because I think it's very easy for people to draw parallels between Rebecca and Athena, particularly given Athena's this character that found such insane success in her 20s. It's very 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 easy for people to say ah she's sort of writing from her own experience and so she does want to make that distinction 
very, very clear and probably wrote a really exaggerated character in mm. Athena. I agree with you, Annabelle, though, in that when I was sort of considering Athena, I thought that Athena was only a bad person from June's perspective. Like, yeah. June was saying all this about Athena to kind of justify what she's done. And in my heart of hearts, it always assumed that Athena probably would have been a good person deep down that June was just trying to sling mud. But reading that makes me think, yeah, you're right. She probably was that, which makes it even more complicated. Okay. Um, yeah, I, d I love the face of one of the interviewers on that where she's just like her jaws drop like <laughs> we're not meant to like the Chinese person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, what's that something? The, the, so there are two interviews in that sketch, isn't there? One in the kind of beige jumper. Mm. Yeah, her point about perhaps this is about really making it clear that you are establishing a distinction between yourself and the character who is also a writer, as she says, who found insane success in her twenties. It might be in service of kind of that distinction, mm -hmm. um, but also it's like maybe maybe it's a character she invented and it doesn't like it's like they're like oh i thought that this was rebecca but if it's not rebecca it must be the opposite of rebecca yeah. and rebecca's done it on purpose to be not like rebecca it's maybe like a, it's just that rebecca is a because uh, that's what they call her rebecca, yeah. um, is like a writer who can write different characters yeah, many of whom are unlikable. You really can't imagine someone talking about Stephen King in such a context and just referring to him as Steve, can you? No, but, but um, a lot of the reviews call her Rebecca yeah. as well. Like all of Goodreads is well, like the one I read about the goldfish. It's like no, Rebecca, goldfish yeah. do not have short memories. But yeah, no, it's a really mechanical way of reading, reading literature, though, isn't it? Like, oh, this character must be there to defend this author from yeah, this accusation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's fascinating that particularly the character who's literally you watch that clip, everyone. The character is literally a god. Really? It's like. What? So there's a problematic Chinese character? Yeah, that, that yeah. Does not compute, does not compute. But, I mean, the idea that it, that our perception of Athena is filtered through June's perception, fair enough, but a lot of it's reported speech. Like, Athena says these things. Yeah, So and, uh, and does... The, like, June... I, I feel there's only so much you can put down to an unreliable narrator. Like, June didn't invent the story of her, quotes, maybe rape, and then... Athena writing it up I mean I suppose we could assume that maybe she's she's presenting it in a particular way or she's writing it in a particular kind of emotive way but I, I don't think there's any sense that June is inventing things that didn't happen mm. in in her and Athena's history she makes uncharitable assumptions about Athena's motivations sometimes yeah um but she doesn't it's there's a difference between an unreliable narrator in that they're trying to push your engagement with a character or an idea in a certain way they're trying to steer your response it, an unreliable narrator doesn't just mean that everything in the book is like meant to be a lie does no, it? No, no so I did a TikTok because I was trying to get people to respond so that we could talk about them on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, no, work? So, no, not yeah. really. Was it a year ago as well where we did the episode where we defined what TikTok is? With Lee, and yeah. And now we're year, yeah. Um, now you're now you're doing it. Yeah, and I, I my argument, which I thought would be controversial, was mm. that it's a satire on systemic cynicism in the culture, and mm. there's a menopayan satire in that every it's not just June as the historical agent, but everything is designed to satirise something within this broader yeah. cynical view. Um, and it got one comment. It got <laughs> it got more than four hundred views. We got That's one good. comment, which was from Lee Stein, oh, when she amazing. said, uh, "Well said. Everyone is problematic." Everyone in the world or everyone in this book? Everyone in the book is problematic. Yeah. So that's yeah. a full circle, that's one year very on. good. Yeah, Thanks, Lee. that's a very astute comment. Thanks for the affirmation. And um, yeah, I'm sure it was a brilliant TikTok that you did. It's nice well, that you got all of those views. Yeah, well, yeah. And it'd be good if someone then listened to the podcast. Yeah, maybe they do. Yeah, maybe they do now. If you're listening now, thanks for watching my TikTok. Yes, thanks for watching the TikTok. Um, anything else you want to say about Yellowface? No. Did you like it? Yes. I liked it I too. It, yeah. I listened to it on Audible and I found, as with another book, I might have a quick moment to reference in a moment. It was like I was sort of contriving reasons to go for a little walk just mm. because then it feels like you've got a good excuse to listen to a bit more. It's very sweet. Um, really, really likes it. Who? My mum. Oh, she's still enjoying it? She absolutely loves it. Has she it. finished it? Or, I think she's Because I know you said it. she was enjoying it yeah. to start with. She still, we spoke on the phone last Friday and she was about halfway through, but she was so into it. She yeah. Loves it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm. It's it's a very nice feeling, isn't it, when you recommend a book and someone really mm. likes it? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and what about really recommend a podcast? Yes. Which I'm saying as if I'm sort of a mashup of Jane Garvey and Feed Lover. So yeah. I just, I thought we'd just talk about this really quickly because I, I came across it in reference to something else and I recommended it to you. We both listened to a few episodes of Off Air with Jane and Fee, which is uh, Jane Garvey from BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour, Erstwhile, and Fee Glover, who's done various presenting also on Radio 4. That's how I know them both. And now they do this uh, podcast on Times Radio where they usually interview someone interesting and that's framed with listeners emails and letter well emails uh, a bit of chat about what they're doing sometimes they talk about books they're reading or tv that they're watching um and it is just very it's quite it's, it's funny often when i say it's quite cozy i don't want to uh demean it or make it sound kind of fluffier or less substantial than it is but it's do you agree it's just, it's just cozy, like yeah. but also like often quite intelligent quite yeah. incisive the guests are really interesting um, I liked both of them when they were on Radio 4 and I like them now and it's been it's been a nice thing to it's a perfect thing to listen to while you're like cooking or yeah, driving so, or some something of the, there's some surprise internal shifts where you're listening mm. to them talking to each other reading out people's letters and they're funny and observational and insightful and like I say cosy is the word like they're, they're delightful to listen to these two and and surprisingly like they're wit it, it could, could get quite dark it and they're also quite, quite funny with each other as well aren't other, they which is um, which is always good i would i um, would love it if there were more podcasts where the, <laughs> the hosts were just sort of lightly rude and disrespectful to one another yes. sometimes that's a good format um, but then you'll get an interview and it'll be like this yeah is, something really like dark breast and cancer, or yeah this is what it's like being in a terrorist attack yeah <laughs> this is what it's like being a little person who's subject to a life of abuse or whatever yeah but um, the reason why I wanted to mention it is that we both kind of noticed, I don't know who spotted this first, um, that for all of that, there's some moments where these two sort of middle class women in what, I guess, their 50s doing a, a podcast where sometimes they read out listeners' emails is sometimes unwittingly reminiscent of uh, Vicky Pepperdine and yeah. Julia Davis's podcast. It's indistinguishable. Dear Joan and Jerrica. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's in distinguishable, moments, I'd say. But I thought uh, there's a few... Sometimes they say, wonderful, mm. or nothing wrong with that, or they'll start eating on air and talking about how they're eating the cashew nuts or whatever, mm. um, or comment on the name on an email and say, oh, what a, what a lovely name. Yeah. But I thought this quotation, more than any, reminded me of Joan and Jerrica, which is, uh, this isn't word for word because I couldn't remember which episode it's in, but it's something like, well, they can be... It can be difficult with mothers-in-law. That can be really difficult for for wives. Uh, sometimes there, there's a kind of contest about who's who's the mother hen. But I think what you do find this bit, I think, is pretty much word for. I think what you do find is the daughter-in-law can often find an alliance with the father-in-law, which can be very nice. <laughs> and I, I get what this like. They don't mean it like that, but that sounds yeah. so Joan and Jerrica. And you could imagine in Joan and Jerrica, they'd go on and talk about all of the disgusting ways yeah. in which it could be very nice and how absolutely wonderful that would be for a, a father-in-law and a daughter-in-law but yeah um, well they do talk yeah. about sex stuff sometimes they do don't they? yeah and, um, um, and they do talk about people's boyfriends being wonderful chaps and yeah he, oh, he like sounds lovely yeah good yeah. for you good for um, you so i guess i kind of wanted to say like that's quite a good podcast yeah, people might is. like it but uh but, it, it's also if you do listen to it take a shot every time they say a Jonah Jericho yeah, thing yeah. and uh, I mean, you'll be twatted something I really like is the ongoing issue with they disparaged netball weeks ago didn't oh they? yeah and, uh, people keep, keep writing and say I like netball <laughs> <laughs> what then, if I like the netball and yeah. find it sustaining yeah so yeah check check that out yeah check it out is there anything else you want to talk about is there anything funny that's happened to you have you been on any other dates with zookeepers <laughs> or not non-zookeepers I mean f- Funny things have happened to me, but I won't go into the now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> a funny thing happened on the way to the studio, but I'm not going to go into it now. Yeah. Uh, good. Funny, okay. Funny Keep it to you. yourself. Um, oh, oh, I know what I was going to say. Mm. Um, I just. Um, so one of the, the other thing about Off Air with Jane and Fee is they did an interview with the writer Lisa Jewell, who became um, famous after writing Ralph's Party in, I think, the 90s, which I didn't particularly like. But they recommended... They were talking about her new book, None of This is True, which I've just listened to on Audible in the last, like, 24 hours. And um, it's not satirical, 
But it, it, if you want something to read on the train or the beach or in the bath or on a walk, um, it's really, really good. And But also, it is one of two books that I've read this week um, which centre around uh, hosting a podcast. Oh. So the other one was absolute crap. Uh, I read it on That's the train to London. <laughs> I'm not even going to say what it was called, but I read it on the train to London and back, um, finished it in those two journeys, but... Like, just don't assume you'll be able to get something good in the train station, WH Smith, you won't. Mm. Um, but yeah, two two books about podcasters. But interestingly, in well, not interestingly, um, in the Lisa Jewell one, the way it's read aloud is they, they do this weird thing where they kind of swallow the D on podcast and it sort of comes out like podcast, po- podcast, like a glottal stop. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> yeah, she makes me think of uh, what's it in St. Elwick's where he calls it a podcast, oh, yeah. which I always want to say on this. Um, but yeah, Lisa Jules, None of This Is True is a ruddy good read okay. if that's what you're after. Okay. Um, mystery, suspense, crime, all that sort of thing. Oh, very good. Yeah, get that if you're going on a train. Don't yeah. get the other book, which I'm not going to name. Which was <laughs> it will be easy. Poor. You you can't tell me not to get it and not name it. What if they buy it? Don't buy any book except yeah. Lisa Jules. Okay. None of this is true. Or Rebecca Crying's Yellow Face. Or what's the one we're going to? Oh, don't hunger. buy that. <laughs> it's a great advert for our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> for fuck's sake, we're going to talk don't about a certain it. hunger. Next, so next time so next we're going to talk about a certain hunger. It's a Halloween special, isn't it? Cannibals. Yeah, cannibals. So we've got Can- a certain. Cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about a novel called A Certain Hunger by uh, Chelsea G. Summer. That's Chelsea it. G. Summer. So read that mm. if you want. We're going to talk about the um, miracle of meat on Channel Four, which is a, oh, yeah. a meat-related satire hoax. Um, and other spooky things besides. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, can't think what they'll be. Well, we'll we'll tell you'll find out when we get there. But it'll be <laughs> our, our spooky Halloween special. I went out with a zookeeper once. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe I should save this joke for the Halloween special. But uh, yeah, it turned out it was a ghost. Excellent. Yeah. So all of our Halloween jokes and reflections and memories and thoughts to warm your ears in the <laughs> mid-October. Yeah. But for now. Hmm. Uh, sit up shut up and uh, read our satire yeah read our satire goodbye listeners goodbye